Hello and welcome to the podcast for Another Chance for Youth. We are the global connecting place for all things in relation to youth all across the globe. As Franklin Roosevelt says, we cannot always build a future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. Get connected. All right, welcome everyone to another edition of um, our episode of Another Chance for Youth. I'm your host, Doug, and tonight we have Alexis on the, um, on the line with us uh, as well. And today's topic is going to be talking about paying for college. And in the last episode, we talked about the admissions process and what it was like um, to apply to college and some of the hurdles that you might see uh, when it comes to attending college. Now we're going to uh, change gears just a little bit, and we're going to be focused on paying for college. So before I get started too uh, too far down the road, Alexa, i got to ask you, were you a multimillionaire when you went to college and you could just write a check, or did you have to go through the financial aid process? I wish. Nah. <laughs> yeah. So, I have know, to fill out the uncommon. FAFSA. Yes. And why we wanted to talk about financial aid tonight is it's very important today being October 1st. That is the first day that you can start applying for the FAFSA for the upcoming academic year, which will be the uh, 21-22 academic year, which will be uh, requiring the FAFSA information. And so we're going to be talking about that this evening and why it's important to fill out the FAFSA, et cetera, because that really drives what you're, you're going to be eligible for when it comes to not only grants, it can also be for state grants as well. Uh, it can also be for student loans, parent plus loans, et cetera. So a lot of things drive that FAFSA form, which stands for the Free Application Federal Student Aid. And I can't stress enough the word free. And you might be saying, uh, what do you mean by that, Doug? Well, just be careful because it is a free form, and that's something that I can't stress enough. It is a free form. So if you go to a website and you start completing the FAFSA and they ask you to pay $50 or $100 to complete the form, you're at the wrong website. So make sure that you go to the right website Nobody should be asking you for any money, and it is the free application for federal student aid. So make sure you don't get that mistake um, in terms of that. What are some things you're going to need when you're completing the FAFSA? Okay? So here we are in 2020. You're not even going to go to school until 2021, August of 2021, a year from now. But you're filling out the FAFSA October the 1st or whatever date that might be, a month from now. What are some information you're, you're going to need? Most important form you're going to need, besides the FAFSA, which you're going to file online, is you're going to need your 2019, yes, you heard me say that right, your 2019 federal taxes. Not interested in state, not if you have to pay a county tax, not interested in any of that. We only need your federal taxes from 2019. We are also going to need your mom and dad, 2019 federal taxes. If it's a stepmom or stepdad, we may need their information as well. 
So there's a lot of different things, moving parts when it comes to completing the FAFSA. And if you have any questions, I cannot stress enough, talk to the financial aid office, to the institution that you're going to be attending. Whether it's a two-year, proprietary, four-year, public, private, talk to their financial aid office because they may be able to help you if you have unique situations, okay? So just kind of keep that in mind when completing the FAFSA. Okay. Now, for some of you parents that might be listening to this, things have changed since when I was in school. Typically, when, when I was in, in college, you would file the FAFSA January the 1st of that particular year. So, in this case, we wouldn't file the FAFSA until January the 1 of 2021. That is not the case anymore. They went to prior, prior year. It means nothing to you. It just means that now you can start October the 1st of the year prior to you going to school. So in this case, today is the first day of being able to go out to the FAFSA, completing the FAFSA for the 20, uh, 21-22 academic year. So I can't stress that enough. So a couple things that you want to take in, in consideration, something that I know uh, a lot of parents kind of get tripped up on in the process, they are trying to fill out the form for their son and daughter. Now, Alexis, when you were going to school, did you have to fill out the form yourself, or did you have a parent or somebody to help you in that process? Oh, did we lose her? Take it, no, take sorry. I, oh, no, sorry. sorry. Um, when I was 18, I filled it out myself. And no, I did not use my parents' information. I decided to leave that part out because my aunt, I just decided not to use my aunt's info. It was more beneficial for me to do it that way. Sure, absolutely. So when you're filling out the FAFSA, though, uh, you're filling it out with your information. So a lot of times mom and dad might want to help the kid, uh, the student, fill out the FAFSA, and there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm not discouraging that. But sometimes, you know, we all get in the habit of, we're reading something that says, you know, what's your social security number? And sometimes we'll see mom and dad's social security number show up instead of the students. And what will happen is it'll cause a reject on the FAFSA form. And it just means it has to be corrected. But a lot of times what will happen is you'll put in Johnny or Susie's name in the FAFSA. And I have to tell you, make sure there's no nicknames. It's your legal name, what was on your birth certificate, driver's license. Make sure that is out there, your full legal name. Because we want to make sure that that matches up when they send it to the processing system, making sure that matches up, you know, with the Social Security Administration. So just making sure that you have things down correctly so your full legal name, we want to make sure that that matches with your Social Security number. And then we're also making sure that it is your information that is being placed there, not mom and dad's. There will be a section for mom and dad's information a little bit later in the FAFSA, but the majority of the information is asking for the student, the individual going to school. Now, mom and dad might say, I want to go to school, and they want to fill out the FAFSA as well. It's the individual that is going to school, um, that that's the, that's the primary information that we're going to be asking for in terms of that. So a lot of times people ask me, they say, Doug, why do I need mom and dad's tax information? Maybe they're not supporting me. Uh, or whatever the situation might be. Well, if you're in the household, 
then the government says that they need mom and dad's tax information. Now, there's six questions on the FAFSA. If you can answer yes to any of those six questions, you would automatically be an independent student. So what are some of the questions on there? Are you over the age of 24? Do you already have a bachelor's degree? Uh, are you married? Do you have any children? Okay. Are you a veteran of the United States Armed Forces? If you answer yes to any of those six questions, you're automatically considered an independent student, which means we don't need mom and dad's tax information. But here's the thing to keep in, in mind. Sometimes we'll run into a situation where a, a student will say, yes, I do have a child, right? And then they'll come back and they'll say, well, you're really not a deep, or an independent student. You're a dependent student. And the student will question that and say, well, how come? Because I said I had a child. That's right. But really what comes down to it is the next part of it. Yes, you may have a child. The question is, can you support that child? So that's really what the federal government's looking at is whether or not you can support that child. Are you providing at least 51% of that child's needs? And a lot of reasons why it will come up as a red flag on the system is because the student will say they have a child, but they have no income. Well, a natural question would be, how are you supporting for this child? You don't have a job. You have no income coming in. How are you supporting that? And nine times out of ten, the student will come back and say, well, my parents, the grandparents, are helping support the child. Okay, then you're really not a true independent student. You're still a dependent student with the child, and that's why we'll need mom and dad's tax information. Alexis, does that make sense? I want to make sure I'm describing it clearly enough for our audience. We uh, we may be losing her um, in and out tonight, so and that's fine. So, just that's one example of what's going on. Um, there may or may not be a true reason why somebody is an independent or a dependent student. So, just know that there could be some hiccups on that. Okay. So, uh, like I said, you'll need your, your uh, 2019 federal taxes. We don't need state, but we will need your, your federal tax information. Once all that information is completed, you'll be asked to sign the FAFSA. Now, you might say, well, Doug, I'm doing the FAFSA online. How do I actually sign for it? And there's a place down there that says uh, that you, you'll ask for an electronic signature. And we will talk about that when we come back from our first break. Ah, oh, man. Every time I think about the children in the world today, I begin to smile because I know we all have said it. We were all children once, and we all want to be grown. And when you become grown, you want to become a kid again. Man, I'm telling you. Our kids have the best opportunity in life as long as we do what we're supposed to do. This is Tawanda with another chance for youth. I want to share with everyone that listens that we are super excited about another chance for youth, what we're doing, and so much that the future holds. If you have no idea who we are, please purchase our book. We'll be available everywhere. You can purchase books and on our website, 
called Why Another Chance for Youth. Also, we have several campaigns that we're working on, and one is on bullying. You could also get our workbook on bullying from our website as well. We are so super excited about everything that's going on in the world and for the children. Please connect with us, support the movement, join the campaign, and remember what we do today can help the youth tomorrow. All right. Welcome back, everybody, from uh, from the break. And so we were talking right before the break is, you know, having FAFSA completed, et cetera. And then I said, you know, how can you sign something if you're completing it out online, electronically? And so what happens is you're going to be asked for a PIN number, a personal identification number, so P-I-N, PIN. And that is something that both mom and dad have to fill out as well. Don't worry. It's right there on the classroom. You click on it, it'll, it'll take you there. And basically what you're going to do is fill out the information. It's going to ask for your email address. It's going to ask you for a password. Remember your password, and please remember the email address that uh, – that you use, you'd be surprised the number of people that when they're filling out the password, they forget their password or they forget their uh, email address that they use or they don't check their email. They have it, but they don't really check it. And there's like 100,000 emails out there, and then they can't find anything. I would strongly encourage you to keep that uh, cleaned up because you may have to and you probably will have to reference it, your email uh, from time to time. So anyways, you're going to go out there, and then you're going to fill that out. They're going to send you your PIN number, your PIN, your personal identification number, and that is how you're going to sign the FAFSA. Both you and your parents will be putting in that four-digit code, and that will act as your signature online. Now, please keep that because you're going to use that for all four years that you're in college, the same PIN number, so you don't have to, to create a new PIN every year. You're also going to use that to be able to sign for your master promissory note if you're interested in a student loan. So if there's a direct loan, sub or unsub, we'll talk about that in a few minutes, that is how you're going to sign for your master promissory note. So very important. So when you fill out the FAFSA, what's going to happen, we're going to send it off electronically, and then within about three to five business days, you should get something called your SAR, student aid report, that will come back to your email address. In that student aid report, think of it as a summary of everything that you just completed, all, all the questions that you were answered. It'll show you how you answered it. And it's going to come up with an EFC, okay? The EFC stands for your expected family contribution, okay? Think of it this way. It's not a dollar amount. It's a number. But think of it this way. Whatever that number is, that is what the federal government thinks you should be able to write a check and apply towards your education every year, okay? And that number will probably change from year to year. However, don't panic because you might look at that number and say, well, there's no way that I have $1,000 or I have $5,000 to write a check. We understand that. The federal government understands that. That's going to help the financial aid office determine what type of aid you're going to be eligible for. So you're going to get that EFC or you're going to receive that EFC number. And based on what that number is, one thing it's going to tell us is whether or not you qualify for any federal grants, the Pell Grant, okay? The Pell Grant is free money. 
It's something you don't have to pay back, and you qualify or you apply for it by completing the FAFSA form. Okay? The other thing that that number is going to tell us is whether or not you're going to be eligible for any loans, sub or unsub. So as long as you haven't defaulted on a previous student loan, you're going to be eligible for that loan. Okay? So as long as you haven't defaulted, you'll be eligible. The question really becomes whether or not you're eligible for a subsidized versus an unsubsidized student loan. Now, some of the listeners might be saying, what's the difference between that, Doug? Subsidized is when the government says they're going to pay the interest of your loan while you're in school. Unsubsidized is when the government says you are responsible for paying that. If you don't feel like you're able to or you can afford to pay that interest while you're in school, that's fine. The government will or capitalize the interest, and that basically means that they're putting interest on top of interest in the process. Okay, it also means that you're probably paying a little bit more for your student loan because you're you're paying interest on top of interest. If you can at all pay for it, it's going to be cheaper for you long long term in the long run paying for that uh, unsub while you're in school. Just the interest. Okay, I can't stress that enough. It's just the interest, not the actual loan. Six months after you graduate, withdrawal, or drop below half time status. You have a six-month grace period, and then you start paying back on your student loan. Okay? Alexis, did that make sense? That makes sense. Okay. Sometimes I, I, I deal with this on a daily basis, and, and so sometimes uh, I can talk at a very high level and, and uh, take things for granted. So I want to make sure that, that we're um, – we're talking where, where everybody can understand, okay? So that's a little bit about that. Now, states, you don't have to worry about, well, I'll say most states use the FAFSA as a state application. So it's going to the federal government for processing, and then it also gets sent to the state. Please check with your state to see what the deadline is. Why do I say that? States have a deadline, usually, where the federal government says you can file the FAFSA any time throughout the academic year. But once that year is over, you're not eligible to file the FAFSA anymore for, for a, a semester or an academic year that's already passed. So making sure that you know what your state deadlines are can help you determine if you're going to receive state aid. Now, just because you meet the deadline doesn't mean you're eligible. They're going to do the same thing that the federal government does. They're going to run it through their state methodology, and then they will determine whether or not you're eligible for state aid. Okay? So what's nice about everything here at the federal and the state level is things are getting processed. You're getting a copy of it. But on the FAFSA form, it's going to ask, where would you like this information? So it's important to know what schools you're looking at possibly attending so they can receive a copy of that student aid report. So in other words, say there's 3,000 uh, colleges and universities, the federal government, the state governments are not sending it to every single school. They're only sending it to the schools that you have list listed on the FAFSA. Okay? So keep that in mind. Most state schools, or excuse me, most state aid programs 
can only be used in the state in which it's received. So if you're in the state of Tennessee, technically it's only going to be used in, in, the, in the state that, that you're in, that you live in. So if you decide to go out of state for school, they're going to tell you, that's great, we wish you well, we hope everything happens, but your state aid does not follow you. It can only be used in a particular state. Now, I say that, that's 99.9% true. Check with your state to see if that, what your state policies are. I don't have all, all the states memorized, so it's very important that you talk with the state to see what their deadline is and whether or not state aid will transfer out of state. Most of the time, they don't. May I ask Okay, so go ahead. May okay. I ask something? Um, just so you know, um, I'm not sure that most students are aware of this, but there is a difference between in-state tuition and out-of-state tuition. What I mean by that is the state where your home address is. Any school that you apply in that state, you will pay in-state tuition, which is slightly less than somebody else who lives somewhere else in the country coming to attend that school. Like for me, in my situation, when I was a high school senior, I had in-state tuition in two states. I had it for the state of Maryland, and I had it for the state of Virginia, but I went to school in Vermont. So when I went to school in Vermont, I paid out-of-state tuition. My sister, however, when it was her turn to go, she went to an in-state school, so it was slightly a little bit cheaper than somebody else coming from out of state who would attend the same school she did. So that is a consideration that you might want to make. If you have your eye on a certain school that's out of state, out of state tuition is going to apply to you. Absolutely. No, and, that, and that's a great, that's a great point. Cause a lot of times that can make or break what you're going to be, um, where you're going to be attending. Um, because of the financial strain uh, in terms of that. Here's the other thing is I'm not here to um, talk you out of going out of state. It's just typically it's going to be a little bit more money. And if you're getting scholarships and a lot of aid, that's great. But I am not here to talk to anybody or encourage anybody to go into debt any more than they have to because it's something that is real and something that you have to pay back. So just be very conservative. Uh, with that, uh, with that thought, uh, in terms of that, because you do have to, you do have to pay it back. So, we're up for another break. But when we come back from the break, I'm going to talk to you about the next phase of the process. What happens once the schools receive them? We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is Alexis with some news buzz news. Georgia receives funding for education on cost, impact of teen parenthood. The Office of Child Support Enforcement at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families awarded $8.7 million to eight child support agencies to develop nine programs that educate teens and young adults about the financial, legal, and emotional responsibilities of parenthood. The 
agencies will collaborate with youth job development programs, foster care transition services, juvenile justice agencies, teen pregnancy prevention programs, community colleges, and public schools to integrate child support and responsible parenting education in a wide range of youth-centered systems. Back to the show. All right. Thanks, Alexis. Uh, so, you know, we were talking about, you know, filling out the FAFSA, state aid, federal aid, et cetera. So that information then comes back listed on the FAFSA based on the schools that you've listed on the, on the form. And then what happens is that that's when the school goes to work putting together what we refer to as an award letter, telling you what type of aid that you may be eligible for for the upcoming academic year. It'll list grants. It'll list uh, scholarships if we know it. And it'll also let you know in some cases, and this is what's going to happen from school to school, which is going to be a little different, if you're eligible for, uh, for student loans. And what I mean by that is some schools will go ahead and package your loans and go, hey, you're eligible for $2,000 in a student loan. You have to accept it. Uh, other schools will say, you know what, if you're really interested in a loan and you need a loan, come and talk to us in the financial aid office, and then we will award it to you. There's not a right or wrong way of doing this. It's just a philosophy that differs from one institution to another. So you may get one school that's, that has a Pell Grant of this and a state grant of this, and they match, but one school has offered you a loan and the other has not. Again, nothing's wrong there. It's just the philosophy in which the way the school uh, decides to package. So you can always reach out to them in terms of that. If you're an incoming freshman, a couple things you have to keep in mind before you accept your loan. Before you accept your loan and your loan will pay as an incoming freshman, the first thing you would have to do is make sure that you go to entrance counseling. You might say, well, that's what's insurance counseling. Insurance counseling is going to go over your rights and responsibility as a first-time borrower. Most of you are 18 years old. You've never borrowed. Most, Maybe some of you have not even had a job yet. And so the federal government is saying as long as you haven't defaulted on a previous student loan, you're eligible. You could have the FAFSA, but you'd be eligible for it, okay? They want to make sure that you know that you're taking out a student loan. And so they're going to have you go through some entrance counseling. A lot of times it's all online. Um, today, when I first started out in the business, we were doing uh, group sessions. You had to fill out forms, et cetera. Everything's done online anymore. And then once it's uh, completed, it'll be sent back to your school so they can show and see that you've completed that information. So that's what we refer to as entrance counseling. Tells you about your rights and responsibilities. You have to do it. The other is making Matt, sure that you're – yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. You forgot to mention work study. Mm. I hadn't got there yet. Oh, sorry. I guess I kind of popped yeah. the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> um, but just so you guys um, are well aware – Read that loan term very, very yep. carefully. There is an interest rate that gets added yep. 
to the amount that you owe. For example, if they give you a loan for $2,000 per year that you're in school, you would expect to owe $8,000 when you graduate. I can guarantee you you're not going to owe $8,000 when you graduate. It's going to be a lot more than that. So just keep in in mind, before you sign on that dotted line, you better make sure you understand just how much that interest rate is on top of the loan money that you're borrowing. Because the last thing that you want to do is just sign all these paperwork just so you can fund your education, get your education, and then the day you get out, you'll be so so indebted with a lot of interest payments that is going to come calling six months after you graduate. Absolutely. No, and that's a great point. Make sure you know because – and when you're borrowing – you're only borrowing for the academic year. So you're borrowing as a freshman. And the next year you have to do the class run, and they'll give you more loans your sophomore, junior, and senior year. So it's something that's constantly being added to in that process. Um, after you do entrance counseling, the other thing you want to make sure you do is sign your MPN. That's MPN. That stands for your master promissory note, and that's good up to 10 years once you sign it. So that means that, like you take out a, a car loan or you're buying a house, you have to sign the note, right, the loan. That's what the MPN does. But instead of doing it every year for four years, you do it once, and it's good for four years. There's some safeguards in it. You don't have to do the entrance counseling every year. Now, some schools may uh, ask that you do that because they want to make sure that you understand what you're doing. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Again, that's the philosophy of the school. But just know that when you sign that master promissory note one year, your next year, the school should probably offer it to you. And then as soon as you go out and accept it, you're done. You don't have to worry about these other additional things to do. Parents, you can take out a PLUS loan up to the cost of education. Now, for students, there is a cap. So as a freshman, you just can't borrow $10,000. There's a dollar amount. And I'm not going to get into that dollar amount because it's based on some other things. Talk to your financial aid office. Um, again, I don't want to muddy the waters too much on this and overwhelm people, but just, just talk to your financial aid office. They'll be able to tell you what you're eligible for. Parents, you can borrow up to the cost of attendance, okay? Every year, the financial aid office is going to be putting together a, a, a cost, estimated cost, what it's going to uh, cost to attend the school, and parents can borrow up to that. We're going to take our last break here, but when we come back, we're going to talk about federal work study and some just some other uh, some questions regarding financial aid. Ah, oh, man. Every time I think about the children in the world today, I begin to smile because I know we all have said it. We were all children once, and we all want to be grown. And when you become grown, you want to become a kid again. Man, I'm telling you, our kids have the best opportunity in life as long as we do what we're supposed to do. This is Tawanda with another chance for youth. I want to share with everyone that listens that we are super excited about 
another chance for youth, what we're doing, and so much that the future holds. If you have no idea who we are, please purchase our book. We'll be available everywhere. You can purchase books and on our website called Why Another Chance for Youth. Also, we have several campaigns that we're working on, and one is on bullying. You could also get our workbook on bullying from our website as well. We are so super excited about everything that's going on in the world and for the children. Please connect with us, support the movement, join the campaign, and remember what we do today can help the youth tomorrow. All right. So hopefully uh, everything made sense that we were talking about uh, so far. Now it's the Federal Work Study Program. This is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart because that's what I started out off with when I was in college. I was a work-study student, worked all four years in the financial aid office. Uh, it's a great program, something I highly recommend. And what, so what is the Federal Work Study Program? Basically, you have to qualify for it, and the way you apply for it and see if you qualify is making sure that you complete the FAFSA, okay? So it's based off the FAFSA information. Information gets sent. Now, unlike the, the Pell Grant, so the Pell Grant or student loan, the federal government says if you are eligible for it, you're going to receive those funds. The Pell, uh, excuse me, the federal work study, it doesn't work quite like that. So each institution receives a pot of money or gets funds, receive funds from the federal government. And once they receive those funds, they're awarding it to students that are the neediest and that have asked for it. So there's a question on the FAFSA that says, would you like work study? Just because you say yes doesn't mean that you're going to receive it. And just because you say no does not necessarily mean that you wouldn't be able to get it later because you can always go back and change it on the FAFSA form. But the Federal Work Study Program kind of works like this. Uh, most schools only pay you minimum wage, so you're going to find a job that typically works on campus or for a nonprofit organization. So, for example, if you're in the, uh, um, going to college and there's a boys and girls club there, they may have work-study jobs there because they're a nonprofit organization. But if you wanted to work at McDonald's or Walmart as a work study, you're not going to be able to do that because they are not nonprofits. They're there to make, a business, uh, make money. So you have to be working for a nonprofit organization. Sometimes the nonprofits, they don't want to deal with the paperwork that has to be done. So just because they're a nonprofit doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be with the work study program. So I just want to throw that out there and clear up any uh, any concerns that you might have there. Typically, like I said, they're only paying minimum wage, and so you'll be awarded X amount of dollars. Maybe it's 3000 maybe it's 2000 maybe it's 1000 It's going to vary on your situation. And then usually what happens is that's divided in half. So let's just take the $3,000 amount. 1500 would be uh, eligible for you to use in the fall and 1500 would be eligible for you to use in the spring term. Now, you're not going to be able to, that aid does not get dispersed to you until you actually find a job on campus and work 
And how it's set up is just like you were working anywhere else. Every two weeks, you'd get a paycheck. So if you work five hours, you'll get paid for five hours until that $1,500 is to zero for that actual term or semester, okay? If you don't find a work-study position, you may be awarded it, but it will never disperse to you because you haven't actually uh, found a job to, to use the funds. So just because it's showing up on your award letter doesn't mean you're going to receive it automatically. Basically, you have to work for it, okay? In terms of that, there's some great things about the college work study program. Uh, what happens is typically uh, some of the, the, the positives for it is you're not going to be able to work more than 20 hours a week, so that's a federal law. You can only work to up to 20 hours a week in federal work study. And most of the positions are on campus, so they're going to be working around your class schedule. So they're going to allow you to go to class and come back and work and in some cases, they may even allow you to study while you're, while you're there. Some departments will not. Others will. Maybe you're answering the phone. Your job is to sit there and answer the phone. Well, nobody calls for an hour. Maybe your supervisor will allow you to, to work on your homework. It's up to the supervisor to do what they need to do. Some of the negative oh, things about sorry. the work-study program. Go ahead. It's actually funny that you said you worked in the financial aid office. I actually worked mm -hmm. on campus security where part of my job at the beginning was to go around campus and make sure certain things were locked and it was getting darker. Uh -huh. And because I was the only girl on the team, my boss just pretty much said, yep, I'm not going to make you go in the back of the school or go where it's pitch black. So I'll do it for you. Just go sit in the office. Yeah. Well, see, and, and sometimes you get lucky on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually was really lucky because all my job was to answer the phone. There was a computer there. My boss goes, I mm -hmm. don't care what you do three hours you were in here. You can surf the Internet. You can use AIM. You can use Yahoo Chat. You can study, but you cannot leave this office. So for right, three hours, absolutely. I can do whatever that I wanted. And it was kind of funny because I lucked out because a lot of the students who would sign up for their shifts would never show up. So my boss knew where to find me, so I always lucked out with the extra shift. I remember the first time for my first shift, I was supposed to be there with my trainer. My trainer never showed up. So basically, my boss was like, you know how to answer a phone, right? Right. You know how to follow instructions? Mm. Yes. Okay, good. You can sit here. You'll be paid for the three hours. Bye. <laughs> and yeah. then the so, next three hours, the next person didn't show up. So my boss was like, do you want to stay here or do you want to go home? I said, I want to get paid. Bye. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. I ended up doing the three to six shift, the six to nine shift, and the nine to midnight shift. Just because people wouldn't show up. Or sometimes, like, during the week, if somebody didn't show up and my boss would just come upstairs and he'll find me and, like, the dining room about to eat dinner, he'll just have this really sad look on his face. And I'll say, can I at least take dinner downstairs? 
Yeah, it absolutely. Was really fun. Yes, but, but but my favorite part of that job was my boss was really nice. So sometimes if I work and I was really hungry, I'll radio him and I'm like, Gary. He was like, yes. It's like, will you please go bring me a burger from the out place? He was like, yeah. I was like, are you going to stop by the office to grab my student ID card so you can take off the point? Oh, and can you bring me a soda, too? With <laughs> and I have to say it through the radio so everybody else hears and They're like, oh, my God, you are such a spoiled child. I was like, well, I'm stuck in the office or else I would go get it myself. And my boss never comes by and gets my student ID. So he pays for it himself. And when I offer him the money back, he never takes it. He was like, no, you're doing me a favor by staying in the tiny office for three hours. So the least I can do is bring you a burger. Hey, you know what? Take advantage of it. And, and sometimes stuff like that happens, you know, being in the right place at the right time and being able to, to benefit from that. So uh, a lot of times maybe, uh, you know, departments might might have Christmas parties or have pizza parties and stuff like that. I know in our office we always feed our work study, you know, because they're a part of the team and we couldn't do a lot of the things that we do without them. So, yeah, take advantage of that. That's awesome. So, so just keep that in mind. Uh, so there's a lot of things with financial aid. We, we didn't even, I mean, we're just touching the, the tip of the iceberg with things. There's all kinds of different things, you know. Here in 2020, there may be some parents that uh, lost their jobs because of COVID. And there's certain things that you can do for that. We didn't even get into that. The best thing I can tell you to do, stay in contact, contact your financial aid office. They are there to help you. This is going to be situations where you may not have a lot of the answers. You're very confused. Relax. You're no different than a lot of other uh, parents out there. Stay in contact with the financial aid office. They are there to help you. And the other thing that a lot of parents and students don't realize is when it comes to financial aid, it's tied to your grades. And so make sure that you've got a 2.0 or higher GPA, because if you fall below that, you could lose your financial aid eligibility. So, you know, if you want to go and party at college, that's definitely your right. But just know that your, your grades are tied to your uh, GPA. And whether or not you're successful, um, not only with your GPA, but if you, have to, if you don't have a way to pay for it, that's going to trip you up as well. So, so I just want to uh, talk a little bit about that tonight as well. Lots of things that we could talk about. We could go down several different rabbit holes when it comes to financial aid, but those are really some of the, the major points uh, overall. By no means is this all exhausting list of things that we can talk about, but I can't stress enough, stay in contact with your financial aid office early, 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 early. Complete the FAFSA early. Don't wait till the last minute. Because when you get closer to August and classes start, guess what? Everybody else is busy and probably thinking too. So try to be proactive instead of reactive in that process. Alexa, uh, I know we're getting close to the end, end of the show, but do you have any parting shots on the um, advice for no. The only advice that I can give people when they're filling out the financial form is don't lie. 
Because if you right. lie, that's going to basically be to your detriment because if they find out about it, you could technically be banned and or face jail time. So it's yep. not worth it to fudge on the FAFSA. Um, I would encourage anybody, if they are taking out a student loan, to understand how much interest it is. And third, if you are a senior, now might be the time to get a side job and or a hustle going if you can. That way you can start saving up. Because the truth about financial aid that most people don't realize is it doesn't pay for your day-to-day living. It only pays for room tuition and board. Room and board is basically if you go to this campus that requires you to stay on campus, it pays for the place you sleep and it pays for your meals. Anything else that you acquire does not get covered under financial aid. So believe it or not, you, if you are one of those people that likes to shop or if you're one of those people that likes to spend money on something else that is not covered under financial um, aid, you, that is a consideration for you just to be a heads up. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and here's the that's great advice. And what I would say is, you know, when you're coming to borrowing, if you don't need two thousand, even though they may offer it to you, and you only need a thousand dollars, only take a thousand dollars. Don't take two thousand because you're right. It's something you have to pay back. You're going to be paying interest, et cetera, on. So, borrow conservatively. If you have questions, do not be afraid to ask your financial aid office. They are there to help. All right. Anything else you'd like to add? Thank you Alexis? so much for listening. Oh. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, is there anything else you wanted to add? If not, no. I'll talk to everybody next week. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We really hope that you enjoy the time with us and our great topic. If you have a great topic or something you really want to hear about, please contact us on our website at ac4y.org. Once again, that is ac4y.org. Until the next time, remember, in youth we learn, in age we understand.